We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get to uh, here's one from uh, Tom Connor, right? So, what's your starting wide receiver group? My ideal is Tobias Merriweather, Deion Colsey, and Jane Thomas with Lorenzo I'm, moving all over and Caleb Smith doing. I'm, I'm gonna have a legit five man receiver rotation with that group right there. Yeah, and if somebody yeah. doesn't play well, hey, Jaden, get re- great house, get in there, you know yeah. what I mean. Like that's my group right there, Ryan. No, no one should be surprised that I'm talking about the trees outside and then Jaden Thomas inside the slot. Yes. It's just it's an easy one for yep. me. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's get down to um, so here. Here's I'll, I'll read this one real quick. Uh, Zaremba asked Brian, "Do you collect the press credentials that you get?" I do not. I did like my first couple years, but I, I really don't. My wife has this thing, so when you check your bag. They give you like a little like a kind of you know you get like the wristbands at a club Ryan where you like take it off it's like the white thing and it snaps it like it it like tapes it shut it's like that really weird cloth thing. Yeah. My wife leaves all those on her computer bag, so she kind of collects those things. But no, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I don't view those. Ryan, you you got to jump off. You still gonna be able to MC? Well, yep, I got you, okay, man. Cool. All right, so we'll, we'll we'll rock through these questions here, moving forward. Uh, so we'll stop. Start back at the top here with uh, Michael Johnson. So Michael says, "Is it possible that Chris Tyree could have 500 yards rushing and 500 yards rushing?" It's possible. Absolutely, it's possible. I don't know that I would predict it, but it's certainly possible. Especially here's the thing too. Let's say there's like an injury at one of the positions. Let's say or run at running backs. Let's say let's say Logan Diggs sprains his ankle and he's out just a couple games no big deal not a big injury just misses a couple games and chris has to get a bunch i mean he could get 150 to 200 yards in just those two games alone working as a rotation with audrick estimate so it could happen again i'm not ready to predict it but it could certainly happen because he doesn't here's the thing about chris tyree he doesn't need the volume if you're using him correctly he doesn't need vo- he, you give him 10 touches a game and he's going to get 100 yards if you do it correctly he just he just will i mean I, so I, I i could see that i could definitely see that all right. This is from Domer Gris. It's happy Friday. Last week, you mentioned Chris Tyree's brothers are high academic kids. Are they MD caliber athletes too? Are we recruiting them? The, they're really fast. The problem is they're smaller than Chris is. They're just not really big. And one of them's name is Nick. I love the Tyree family, man. They are um, they are good people. 
and they do it right with how they raise their children. Football matters to them, no question. But they teach their children that there's a lot more to life than just being a great football player. And yes, you can be passionate about football and work hard at football and 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 have a desire to be great at football. But don't limit yourself to just that. I love that. I, I wish more parents were like them where, hey, there's nothing wrong with you wanting to be a professional athlete. Not a dang thing wrong and work at it. But just because you want to be a great athlete doesn't mean you can't take these other aspects of your life just as serious. I think it's great parenting. And I wish more parents were like that. They're just not quite, no, they're just, they're not like power five level kids because they're just not very big. They're, I think they're both, if I'm last I checked, they're both smaller than Chris and they're not as thick as Chris is. They're, they're thinner than Chris, but yeah, uh, they're, they're fast kids. They're, they're fast kids. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're house Matt Slerner looks so far. Uh, guys, they've had one practice. He looked exactly like he did last year. So, uh, look, in the right role, Matt Slerner can help you in certain things. There's no doubt. It's just you don't want him to be a really much of a primary rotation guy. Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker, says, which decommitter player that left the program would you rather not him have this year, Justin Rett or Brandon Hillman, and why? Thank you for all you do. Well, you are welcome, and thank you for the compliment. It'd be Brandon Hillman, clearly. I was never a huge Justin Rett fan. He was a good player, but I just never saw a guy that was like um, he was a he he was not really a natural football player. He wasn't as physical as you'd expect him to be at his size, and he didn't really continue to progress. Uh, I think Brandon Hillman had a much higher ceiling, so I'd, I'd go with Brandon Hillman on that one. This Jaywick thirteen asks: Do your does your expectations for Notre receivers change depending on who starts a quarterback? For example. Do you think one quarterback will hone in on one guy versus spreading the ball out more? No, I think – look, I think we saw in the bowl game last year that Tyler Buckner, if he's – when he's comfortable, is going to spread the ball around. I, I mean, he, that's the one thing I loved about that bowl game last year. I'm going to pull up the numbers. But, I mean, he hits the running back for a 75-yard touchdown. He hits uh, – you had, let's see, had, uh, six guys catch passes. Your running backs had seven catches. Lindsey had four. Jaden Thomas had five. Mitchell Evans had three. Chris Tyree had four. He threw he threw balls to Tobias Merriweather. He was off target, and then Tobias got hurt. He had he threw balls to Deion Colsey. 
he attempted to spread the ball around just fine in the game last year. It's so, so I don't think that's going to be an issue with either one of those guys. So do my expectations for the receivers change depending on how, who starts quarterback only from the number standpoint, I don't think Notre Dame would throw for as many yards with Tyler Buckner at quarterback simply because he's going to run more. And so you look at that bowl game, for example, you know, Tyler throws for 273 yards. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good day's work, right? I mean, 273 yards a game, over the course of a of, of a 13-game season is going to get you to 3,500 yards. I think if Sam Hartman's your quarterback, you can get close to 38, 3,900 perhaps. So about a you know 300-yard difference. I think Tyler will will actually use the backs and tight ends, maybe especially the backs a little bit more because of not so much that Sam won't throw to them, but Tyler's run-throw stuff, you're going to want to use the backs more to keep teams honest with a guy like Tyler so you don't key on his legs. It just it would look different. And so that's why I would I would say it would be different with uh, with Tyler. It, but it's not better or worse. It's just maybe the numbers not quite as good, but they're still going to be very good, no matter who starts a quarterback. And Josh Buffo, the motivational business maker, said, "Did you see the interview with Jenkins and Jack on the Today Show? How do you feel about it? Uh, good or nothing? Good, bad, or nothing? I, I'm still look. I've had a lot of people ask me about this, and." I'm still formulating my opinion on this. I don't want to speak emotionally on it. There's some things that that I've read and that I've seen them say that I agree with. And there's some things that they've said that really bother me. And since I have a natural dislike for both, I feel like if I commented now, it would be more, it would make it, it would very much come across as my, uh, my feelings towards them. And I want to kind of, dive into it more. And, and, you know, so I'll, I'll talk about it on the message board this week and I may write an article on it in response uh, and, and then maybe respond to it, maybe in the next show that we have uh, more about it. Cause I think there's, look, there's some good things they said that, that I like. There were some things they, that they said that I didn't like in the article uh, from what I've read. I didn't see them on the today show, but I'll go back and watch it before I make my article. I understand what they're trying to do. I just, I just need to read more into it to give a fair response to it. You know, the good things I like and the things I didn't like. Keith Wagon says, uh, Emil Wagner and Ronnie Stanley comp. I've seen a lot of people making this comparison and, and they're trying to say, well, Emil's weight's going to be fine because look, Ronnie had weight, you know, was a smaller guy. Ronnie was 280 pounds when he arrived in uh, over 280 pounds when he arrived in Notre Dame. Emil's in his second year at Notre Dame and he's still not, well, it's going into his second season, he's still not 280 pounds. So that regard, I don't accept. Ronnie was turning a 20-pound-plus guy. Emil's never going to get that big. But there are some similar things to them. I don't really see a lot of similarities between the two other than length. Ronnie was really long. And, and, and Ryan, if you have a different opinion and you want to, um, uh, you know, if you want to kind of text me your thoughts on that, that's fine because you know, Ryan's daughter's home, so he's bringing the questions up, but he can't, uh, he can't be on the show. Kind of makes it hard with a, with a, a cute little one year old with a lot of energy, but uh, I think Emil is more powerful than Ronnie was in high school. You know, in high school, I think Emil is more explosive athletically than Ronnie was coming out of high school. I think Emil is every bit as long as Ronnie was coming out of high school. The difference is Ronnie was a lot bigger than Emil was, and and that to me is the difference. And and. So, and Ronnie to me was a little bit more of a natural pass blocker. Emil's going to, no, Emil has all the athletic tools to be a really good pass blocker. He doesn't do it a lot in high school, but as a run blocker, he's much further along than what Ronnie was because he's more powerful than what Ronnie was. 
just the size, man. It's or the the body weight. That's the that look, guys. That's the only thing that I think keeps Emil Wagner from being a really good player is the size. That's it. All the other tools are there. I just don't know if he has that ability. I you know again, he's a ripped up kid. I just just not an offensive line frame. He's kind of caught in that. I'll t- I'll say this: if Emil Wagner was the size he is now in the 1990s, he is a star star especially in the 1980s because you could be 265 275 pounds and be a, a great college player just can't really do that anymore i mean notre dame had a guy in the 90s rick kaczynski was a good football player and he was like 257 pounds you know uh you just you can't be that now you have you have to be bigger because the other guys that you're going against are bigger that's the primary reason for it I have a super chat from Alejandro Cornell, and he says, you guys have done a great job with covering with coverage the last few months. Thank you for that. Look forward to your analysis in the summer and for the season. I wasn't done reading that last one, man. Uh, but Alejandro, I appreciate that. Um, appreciate that very much. Appreciate that very much. We have a super chat from Byron. He has this, this super st- sticker here, but then he also has a question about the red zone defense that I'll answer as part of that. He says, was our red zone defense so bad because our linebackers didn't read and react as well as they should? Why exactly were we so bad in that area? Look, the reality is, Byron, when you're that bad, there's not one reason for it. There's not. Like, th- there was schematic issues, linebacker issues. Uh, Ryan had mentioned a good point the other day when we were talking about this on a previous show is they were small. They weren't a real, real big defense, and and that doesn't hurt you as much in most situations. Being the, re- the goal line and teams are just putting a bunch of big guys out there, and they've only got to move you a yard, it's a little tougher. And, and even then, they – They'd force a lot of teams to get to fourth down. I remember Syracuse had a situation like that where I think they had like first and goal inside the five, and Notre Dame got them all the way to fourth down. And I think they scored on fourth down. They did that to North Carolina twice, got them into fourth down, and and I think Carolina converted the both of them. I think once was the I think the Jack Kaiser time they beat him was fourth down. It may have not been, but the early pass where Josh Downs caught that little wide, quick wide fade in the end zone that was fourth down. And they did a good job with that. They just couldn't finish and scheme stuff. Like there was a touchdown they gave up against Syracuse. And I remember Ryan and I were like, what the heck were they doing? Because we were sitting there watching it and, and they're at like the 15 yard line. They got Benjamin Morrison playing off and outside of a Rondé Gadsden Jr. This is the easiest slant touchdown you're ever going to see. Like what the heck were they doing? Like you put that kid in a position to fail. I wasn't on Benjamin Morrison. That was on the coaches. And they owned it after the game. In fairness, they said that that was on us. And I appreciated that. But it's just a lot of stuff like that, guys. And then again, in the red zone, it's very unnecessarily complex and just blitzing when they didn't need to blitz. It just it was a it was a lot of different. And then in some areas, the lack of length would hurt them. In some areas, it's just, it was a lot of different things. But I I'm definitely not putting that just on linebackers. Sean Higgins with a super chat. Do you feel? Thank you very much, Sean. Do you feel like the neg- the negative fan sentiment we've seen felt in recent months is shared by parts of the program? I think so. Yeah, I think. I think the unwillingness by Notre Dame to – we're going to have a show on this. I just may have made the decision that I, I want to wait till after spring because I don't want to have a real negative show that takes away from what the players are trying to do. But I absolutely have heard from a lot of sources that it is obvious because a lot of these kids have friends at Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan and Alabama and Clemson, and they hear and see – and they took visits to these schools – and they're like, hold on now, Notre Dame's got all this money. These kids that I'm going to class with are paying like 70 grand per kid. Like you've got this, you know, billion dollar endowment, which again, I know that doesn't go to football stuff, but the point is you can raise tons of money if you needed to. And we've got this and we've got that and, and this isn't working and we're not getting this. And 
you know, it's just a lot of stuff like that where you're just like, man, like, why are they? They're like unpinching pennies unnecessarily. They won't offer coaches extent, you know, pay raises until someone else comes after them. Where Ohio State's just throwing, you know, contracts at the coaches they want to keep to make it to where teams can't afford to come get them, even if they wanted them. You know, there, there's, there's, there's been assistant coaches at Ohio State that schools have reached out to in recent years. And they say, what are you making at Ohio State? And the guy will say, and he's like, yep, okay, good luck to you. Because, I mean, they can't afford that. Some schools just can't afford that. There's no excuse not for no- – look, here's the deal. I'll say it for the millionth time, and we'll dive into it more in the offseason. I fully support Notre Dame's pushback against NIL the way it's being used. It should not be used as an enticement for recruiting. I believe that with every ounce of my being. It should be something that is earned – through legitimate name, image, and likeness, which means not all players are going to be the same. I am, I am for, not to the degree that some people are, but but I, I, there are certain things that I believe should be part of rev share. Not everything, because schools still need to pay the bills. But there should be things that, hey, look, I've said this a million times. Jersey sales should flat out be a rev share, because you're not buying that jersey just because it's a Notre Dame guy. You're buying that jersey because, oh, man, I love Ian Book or I love Sam Hartman or I love you know, Jalen Smith or I love Manti or whatever the case may be. You see guys walking around campus with a number five jersey, not because they just like the jersey, but it's Manti's my guy or Jalen's my guy or whatever. That's the reality of it. And and say, so, well, you know, the number three is, yeah, but it's the it's Joe Montana, it's Rick Meyer, it's, it's those guys over the years, Arnez Battle that made that jersey famous, that should flat out be a rev share that, that you give with your players. And I'd say all of them. I've, I've said this before. You, sh- you should charge jerseys because I mean, you still sell jerseys expensively. And I'd say this too. If you announced that all your jersey sales, that you would share a percentage of those with your players, and I don't think Notre Dame can do this. I'm saying this is what the NCAA should allow. Hey, we're going to sell our jerseys this year at 150 bucks a pop. You can buy them online. You can buy them in store. And 40%, 50%, whatever, 30%, whatever the cut is, and it should be more than 10, uh, which is a, an original number, but like say 40% of that number is we're going to take that and we're going to disperse it to our football players. You'd have people buying jerseys just to be able to support the players in that regard. Flat out would. I guarantee a bunch of you in this chat would do that. There's things like that that I think they should be able to do. And, and that's what I want to see is more stuff like that, 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 that should be rev shares. So, so there should be things that they're doing. And I support Notre Dame's pushback against some of those things, but there's other things that they're, they're, that they're refused to embrace that I think are silly and petty. And just because they're cheap and there's no excuse, none, none to not have a top five highest paid coaching staff in America. None. That should never be a – paying for a coach should never be a problem. And you need a great coaching staff to win. And so the unwillingness to pay more for assistant coaches – and then Brian Kelly did a lot to get more and more for assistants, and Charlie Weiss did as well. But still not where it need, not even close to where it needs to be. <clears throat> and so things like that, making sure that your facilities are top-notch. Now, again, there's some stuff that's just outlandishly unnecessary. But there's a lot of stuff that they need that the school should absolutely be paying more for. And be willing to pay for things like that. Having the best nutrition program in the country should absolutely be in Notre Dame. Why are you not set looking to set those trends? Anything, and I've said this before, anything that is player related, Notre Dame should flat out be setting the bar for everyone else. Our mental health, 
the things we do for our players from a mental health standpoint. Because here's the deal. Notre Dame sets the standard for college football for what your academic support staff should be, flat out. And I love Notre Dame for that. Other coaches will tell you, man, like Notre Dame coaches don't have to do a thing when it comes to academics. There's academic support at Notre Dame. I know coaches that used to be at Notre Dame that have been at other places, and they'll tell you this, man, the academic support there is an, an outstanding. They do a phenomenal job there. Then you'll get into situ, but then you get into the other things. Why isn't it that way for your nutrition program? Why isn't it that way for your mental health situation? Why isn't it that way for you know helping you know setting up a program? And part of this is a little tricky with the NIL, but once rules get passed where your school is allowed to work with these kids, making sure that they're on top of knowing what's going on with NIL, know your opportunities, know your worth, make sure you're hiring people. You should, this guy's trying to get you to sign on for 20, 20%. No way, buddy. Let me help you with this contract negotiation for this deal. We have people that, that know how to do this. They'll represent you to make sure that you're getting a cut. Like the school should be doing that. So these kids don't need NIL agents. You know, that they got to pay 10, 15, 20% to, or, you know, those NIL agents work with the school and they get a smaller cut, kind of like NFL agents. Ryan's talked about this. Things where we're protecting the kids and helping the kids in those regards. When that day comes, Notre Dame should have the best in the country. They should have the best, the best training staff, the best strength and conditioning staff. They should have a top five highest paid coaching staff. There's no excuse not to. That's the kind of stuff that Notre Dame should never take a backseat to anyone for. You don't want to do this insane like facilities that other people do. I'm okay with that. But the Googs shouldn't be outdated. You should never let yourself be outdated. But you don't need some of the extravagant things other people do. That's fine. But the other stuff that they're unwilling to be the trendsetters on, that stuff's unnecessary. There's no excuse for that. And that's the stuff that I want to see Notre Dame do a better job of. And I think that is something that's a sentiment shared by a lot of people as part of the football program that I've talked to over the years. I think that's where you could, you can and need to get a lot better in my opinion. No, no question about it. Josh also said, uh, asked this question yesterday, but want to your response, who is the swaggiest Notre Dame player in your ND viewing history? Probably Ricky waters, probably Ricky waters and Jalen Smith are probably the two that immediately pop, pop out in my head are probably my two. Next is uh, Michael Johnson says, has Notre Dame ever had a Heisman, Bolitnikoff, and Doak Award winner in a single season? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a no, because I believe that Notre Dame has only had uh, one um, Bolitnikoff Award winner ever, and that is Golden Tate. So let me just let me just pull this up here real quick, uh, the Bolitnikoff Award. Let me real quick. And look that up. Yeah, Golden Tate is Notre Dame's only goal. Uh, it's the only year they've ever had a, a Blitnikoff Award winner. That was 09, and they clearly didn't have a Doak Walker Award winner or a Heisman Trophy winner uh, those seasons. And I, I don't know if Notre Dame has ever had a Doak Award. And they've never had a guy win the Doka Walker Award. So, and, and again, some of these, some of these are new. Like the the Doak Walker Award started in 1990. And the Bolitnikoff Award started in 1994. So uh, those are relatively new awards. All right. Archer says, which Archer 452, which one can take a bigger jump for quarterback given the right training development, arm, development, arm strength, or accuracy? It, honestly, Archer, it depends on the kid. Uh, for Tyler Buckner, it's arm accuracy. 
for a guy like Kenny Minchie, it's arm strength because Kenny Minchie can't get a whole lot better with accuracy. Given me all things being equal, I think the thing that can have the biggest jump into to me is arm strength. I think that accuracy is not something you can always teach. What I think, what I would kind of change this a little bit is if you're accurate, you're accurate. You, if you have the ability to be accurate, I can enhance it and 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 teach you more about a word that I like to use more than accuracy is ball placement. Because I think ball placement is different than accuracy. Accuracy kind of speaks as just an overall percentage. To me, if you're if you're an accurate quarterback, or you have the talent to be an accurate quarterback, it doesn't necessarily mean you are accurate because you don't have an, an understanding of ball placement. I can put the ball wherever I want to put it. I just don't know that I'm supposed to put it here. You know, so a slant route, I can put the ball wherever I want to put the ball. But do you if you ask most kids, they're going to throw slants and hit you right in front and hit you in stride and so good. No, that's what if the corner's coming over top? What if the corner's come from behind? There's times where that slant needs to be right on a guy's near hip. It's where the ball needs to go, depending on where the DB is. But if the DB's playing trail and I throw it behind, he's getting his hand around, maybe even step in front and picking it off. I got to get it more out in front. Uh, there's there's times when a ball this ball needs to be high. There was a throw today that I saw Sam Hartman make where it's like they're throwing back lines and that ball's thrown really high. They got to go jump up and get it. But like, that's exactly where that ball needed to be when you're running a back line throw, because you want to throw it over top of the defense and let a guy go up. Brady Quinn, you shouldn't do make a killing on that with most of all and Jeff Samarja. He slowed that ball like 12, 10, 12 feet and let them, those guys go up and get it where only they can go get it. That's exactly what that's, that's ball placement. That's a part of accuracy, but it's, it's the more detailed part of it. I think that can be enhanced a lot, but if a guy's in like, for example, Kyle Bowler was never going to be an accurate quarterback ever, ever. He didn't have the, he didn't have the ability to do it. Just, he didn't have the skill to do it. Like how much he had Jeff Tedford was his quarterback's coach. If Jeff Tedford can't make you better than a 50% completion percentage, nobody is. So I think arm strength would be that guys who have the ability to be accurate can, can be enhanced, but I think it's hard to take a guy who's just not accurate and turn him into a really accurate passer. I just, I don't think, I think that's hard to do. That's a lot harder to do. It's about enhancing things that are already there. Kerry Van Orman says, is Notre Dame ever going to bring back the coaches clinic? This was a great way to catch practice and, and listen to the coaches. I don't know. Uh, I'm shocked that they don't have it back yet. I mean, you're in year two of Marcus Freeman. The COVID stuff's a thing of the past. I don't have a clue. I need to look into that and figure out why they're not doing that this year. It is a little strange. Uh, it's going to skip that next one, Ryan. Let's go to the next one. I want to kind of work through some of these here real quick. Um, let's just go to Mike Reddy. Says, how concerning is it that the best athletes, Patelho, Burnham, Kaiser, Maris, Sneed, Ramon, are better situated attacking, blitzing, and not reading and reacting or playing in space? Well, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Number one, when you're young and you're really athletic, you're going to be better at coming downhill. A lot of the guys you just mentioned are young. Ramon is pretty inexperienced at that position. Burnham was a freshman last year. Uh, learning a new position. Patelho was had just been moved back from playing Rover. Uh, Jalen Sneed was a freshman last year. When you're young, you're going to not be as good in space because there's a lot more thinking involved. So you just attack, see ball, get ball, and your athleticism takes over. Maris just doesn't show a feel for the game. I put him completely different. And and again, Jack Kaiser, is is his issue is more length. There's nothing you can do about that. I don't care – you have the best coaching. They're going to be the smartest player in the world when you're barely six feet tall with short arms and you're guarding a six, five tight end. 
with long arms, I don't care how smart you are or how well coached you are, you're going to lose that battle if the quarterback has any feel for ball placement. So it's just different for every kid, honestly. And, you know, for Batelho, he showed in 2021 he could play in space. But but why? Why put him in space? He he has a really good knack for getting to the quarterback. So why do it? I mean, I just don't understand the point of doing that. So I just it's different for every kid. It's different for every kid. Well, this is an interesting one from Lenny Smith. Um, Memphis guard Jamira shoots sucker punched Bowling Green's Alyssa Brett in the face during handshakes following Bowling Green's win. And what do you think should happen to her? So I saw I saw the hit, and it was it was kind of during the, the handshake. She has been um, I think is they they've put out she's been charged. I think is what I saw uh, from the Bowling Green. Um, Bowling Green police charge her with assault. That's a really, uh, that's a really interesting situation. And and here's my thoughts on it. There's a lot of things that happen during a game that I think are just part of competition, part of the game. With what this girl did, when you watch it, she sought out the other girl in, 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 handshake so she's the first girl in the handshake she stops looks at that girl starts saying something i don't know what's said by either side and then sucker punches her after the game for me i mean i don't know if i'm if i'm comfortable saying someone should be charged with assault but it's like if you walked up to somebody like that in the street and did that to them in the street that's assault right that's a chart i'm pressing charges against you should it be different on the court after a game? It's a good question. I think that's a really that's a gray area. You know, there's not a lot the school can do because her career's over. From what I read, she's you know this is the last game of her career. So I, you know, I'm, that's a tough one, guys. That's a that's really a tough one for me because if somebody just walked up and did that to me in the street, first of all, I'm probably hitting you back a lot. Uh, and if I don't, if I, if, if I don't, like if my wife's there and she's able to, it's like, no, no, no. Or my friends are there and they stop me. I'm you're, I'm, you're going to get arrested. If you just walk up to me and punch me in the face, uh, and, and I didn't instigate that fight and I'm sorry, you get hit with an elbow in a game. You handle that in the game when you, when you're able to, you don't wait till after the game and, and do what they did. And yeah, I just don't, I don't like that, but should it, should it, should she be charged with assault? Well, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Cause now you're talking about putting something on somebody's record for that that's a man that's a tough one i'm not sure how i feel about that one to be honest with you i'm not sure how i feel about that one ben tarnoski says if, you, if either of you were the oc would you consider doing some debo samuel type stuff with lorenzo styles if so what would it look like um the, the problem is is it's it's not it's the same thing with chris tyree it's not a direct correlation for talent like Lorenzo can do some stuff, but Lorenzo's not a super. Neither of those guys are super shifty guys. Debo's a has some shiftiness, and he's and Debo's built like he's built strong. I just don't think either one of those guys are are direct comparisons to Debo in skill set. Are there things I would do with Lorenzo getting him the ball? And the, yes, I've said this. I mean, he played running back in, at times in high school. What he ran a jet sweep for like fifty some yards against Virginia uh, in 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 two thousand and twenty one. Yeah, there's some stuff I would do. Would I do it like Debo or like Debo did with the Niners? 
I don't know if I'd go that far. I think Chris Tyree can do some things there, but then with him, you're not going to have him doing some of the pass game stuff that Debo did. So there's not a perfect comparison to Debo, but in regard to getting them the ball in a lot of different ways, yes, absolutely. Both of them need to get the ball in a lot of different ways. There's no question about it. No question about it. V-Dub at 804, can Jeremiah Love see the field this year? Kenny, yes, absolutely. Jeremiah Love is athletic. He's explosive. Uh, he became a much more comfortable football player this year, whereas the junior is kind of just a really good athlete trying to learn the game. He looked a lot more comfortable this year, looked a lot more um, natural, I should say. is probably a better way of saying it than comfortable. Looked a lot more natural uh, as a football player uh, this past season, which to me is a great sign and, and something that you want to see. Now, would I go out and say, you know, yes, he's definitely going to play? It's going to be tough because Notre Dame is loaded at those two positions, which I think speaks volumes about how good Notre Dame is at running back and receiver that I'm not sure that a kid that I graded as a top 50 overall recruit could have a tough time seeing the field this year. I do think that's where I've said it before. I would have him return a kicks this year and return a, and, and give him a chance to return punts. If he shows any knack for those two things, I would let him do that for sure. Let him get some touches because he needs to play. He's not a redshirt guy, and you want to keep him happy. So I would find a way to get him in there. And then if I'm blowing a team out, him and Jared Darren Price are getting in the game early in the second half because I don't care as much about Audric and, and Logan Diggs' overall numbers. I care about their yards per carry being high and about them being fresh in November and into the postseason. If that means in a couple blowout games, I don't get him as many touches, fine. I don't care. Get your work in in the beforehand. So that's what I'd like to see uh, in a way to get him the ball. Wrapped it off. It's a basketball question. Let's say Coach Shrewsbury turns around Irish hoops sooner than expected. Let's even say win a national title by year three. Whoa. Do you think an NBA team tries to hire him or leaves for the NBA? I have no idea. Uh, I would be, I would be shocked like this is just my opinion. I have, n- I don't, I don't have a, I can't give, this is not an expert analysis. I don't know that I'm not a, a basketball guy, but just looking at it, I mean, John Beeline got hired because, you know, for his career uh, in the NBA, he had no NBA experience at all. And he, he did some really good things with Michigan and got hired in the NBA. And I look at some of the other guys, Billy Donovan, Brad Stevens, he got hired in the NBA. And, you know, Brad Stevens did that because he took Butler, uh, you know, to back-to-back national title games. If Micah Shrewsbury was able to win a championship at the University of Notre Dame, I don't care what year it was, year three or year 10, a program that's – I don't think it's ever won a national championship in basketball. I don't believe Notre Dame basketball – I'm going to look this up here real quick. I don't believe Notre Dame men's basketball has ever won a national championship. I'm looking at the – I'm looking at it now. Let's see here. Uh, pre-tournament Helms champions, 1927 and 1936. But since the NCAA tournament, Notre Dame has made the Final Four once. They've only made the Elite Eight seven times. And since I was born in 78, they made it in 78, 79, and then 15 and 16, four times. That's it. They made it in the 50s three times. This is not a program with that kind of basketball history. You've got all the disadvantages working against you. NIL, one and dones. You you can't sell the academic piece like the football team can because most great players are going to be there. If he was somehow able to win a title, which is doable in today's era, with at Notre Dame, 
with six years as an assistant coach with the Celtics on his resume, I'd be shocked if an NBA team didn't try to hire him. Would he leave for the NBA? I have no idea. I don't know Micah Shrewsbury at all. I don't know if he has any interest in being an NBA head coach. But I'd be shocked if teams didn't try. Shocked. I really would. I really would. Just your ordinary Joe. Is football officiating considered a noble profession? Know any well? What sets the good ones apart? I don't know any of them very well. Is it a noble profession? Um, I think anything where that requires um, uh, uh, the the ability to to be good at it, you have to work at it. So you're not just showing up at a job and just punching buttons. And there's nothing against that. But it's, you know, there's certain, let's be honest, there's certain jobs like it doesn't take a lot of skill or work to do. You just show up and do your job and don't screw up. To be a good official, you have to work at it. You have to practice. You have to go, you have to take pride in it. You know, it's like, I've said this, my dad was an umpire when I was growing up in baseball. And he took a lot of pride in it. He would shine his shoes before every game. You know, he would always make sure his shirts were ironed and my mom would iron his shirts. And he, he looked like, well, this guy looks serious about it. And then he'd show up and the guy working the game with him is like, the dude's got a faded shirt. He's got like a cigarette pack rolled up in his sleeve. His stuff's wrinkled. His shoes look disgusting. Like you can tell he hasn't cleaned them since the last time he, he did a game. And just looks sloppy. You know, like that guy just, that guy's just taking a paycheck. He just likes baseball. He's taking a paycheck. Like where you know, my dad put a lot of pride in being good at what he was doing. He put, he, he had respect for the craft. And so to be good at, uh, and as a football official, you have to, you have to work at it. And so to me, that makes it kind of a noble profession and what sets the good ones apart. I think you have to have good instincts, eye for the game and all that, but it, it, it's work. I want to be good at it. And you have to be able to take ego out of it. If you are someone of big ego, and we see this in NBA is worse than NBA and major league baseball are way worse than the NFL. You get these guys that just, they think it's about them. Angel Hernandez, for example, Worst of major league umpire I've ever seen in my life, but also one of the most rabbit eared in, in you know umpires you're ever going to see. Just ultra sensitive. Just he think Joe West was this way too, but it, he he was better official than Angel Hernandez was. It's like Joe, no one's here to see you. NBA had it that way, dude. No one's here to see you, Joey Crawford. Nobody. So stop making it about you. And so uh, football is different, but you got to take your ego out of it and and care about. I'm gonna do this right. You do that. I think I think it's a noble profession, and, and to me, would be something that I have a lot of respect for people to do that. Because you gotta take a lot of crap to be an official. A lot of crap. If you do it well, and you put your ego aside, I got respect for you. I really do. All right, we got one from Archer four five two. I saw a Life magazine. I don't that had Aerosmith on the cover and called them America's greatest rock band. Who is the greatest American rock band? I don't, I mean, I don't even know what would be considered. I'm going to type this in. What would be considered great rock? I guess. I don't really know. Um, I don't really listen to that kind of music to be completely honest with you. I mean, I've, Looking at this list here, Beach Boys. I mean, are they a rock band? Tom Payne, Heartbreakers, Van Halen. That was a pretty good one. Creedence Clearwater Revival. Aerosmith is five. The Doors. I don't know about the Doors. Talking Heads. Never even heard of them. REM. They're not American. Eagles. Are they American or are they from somewhere? Are they from? Uh, I know my dad and my uncle probably might say the Eagles. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know most of these bands, to be honest with you. Like, 
would people consider uh what's that group metallica uh a rock band or is it heavy metals i don't have a clue guys i i honestly don't know that's not my type of music so i don't have an opinion on that i don't mind talking about it. i mean talk, people ask me all the time what's your favorite rappers and that's that's more the type of music i'm more familiar with it though i mean aerosmith's popular i don't know if i they've got some good songs you know some good party songs i don't know if i could say who the greatest rock band is i have to ask my dad that one he might have a better answer for me uh so i mean like what groups get clumped into rock i guess that would be my thing so uh, i don't have an answer for you man i'm sorry archer i apologize matt sagalowski who's now an uncle by the way i believe but barring injury who would you possibly look to redshirt in 23 so from the 23 class i would like to redshirt kenny mitchie i would uh like to redshirt if possible cooper flanagan but i don't know if that's possible I'd like to redshirt all my offensive linemen other than Charles Jagasaw. I'd like to redshirt all my defensive linemen. I'd like to redshirt Jaden Osbury if possible, because I want to get a year of physical development from him. And if possible, I'd like to redshirt the two safeties. I don't know if that's going to be possible, but I'd like to. I think there's, and I don't normally say that about skill players, but I think a Don Schuler and Ben Minich could both be five-year guys. And I don't often say that, but those are guys that I'd ideally like to. Um, you know, I don't, I don't care to redshirt any of the receivers. I, Maybe Rico. Rico might be a five-year guy. Maybe Caleb Smith. Jaden Greathouse isn't a five-year guy. Braylon James isn't a five-year guy. Um, Jeremiah Love's not a five-year guy. Drake Bowen's probably not a five-year guy. But if he was willing to do it, oh, Preston Center. I'd want to redshirt Preston Center as well. There's a lot of 23 guys I'd like to redshirt if I can. I have zero interest in redshirting the corners. None. Zero interest in recruiting or redshirting Braylon James or Jaden Greathouse or, or Jeremiah Love. None. Zero red interest in redshirting Charles Jagasaw. None. So if I can find a way to play him, I will. Everybody else, if I could redshirt them, that'd be great. If they're willing, if they're okay with it, you know, and, and understanding of why, it's great. It's great. Monolur, monolur uh, of the weight changes, which one concerns you and which do you find encouraging? Well, I was really happy to see that uh, Emil Wagner put on 11 pounds. That made me happy. Like, okay. Good. He's already almost a two. Because what I said before, uh, we got the official weights. I said, listen, if he can just have a nice jump this year and put him in position to be 285, 290 the next year, I'm happy. Well, if if we're to believe that weight that we saw from him, he's up to 279. That's a that's great. I'm very happy about that. So that was that was very encouraging to see. So uh, if he can if he can kind of keep that well that's that's great and then you kind of you know if you can make a similar jump a year from now you're talking about a meal coming into 290 i mean i didn't want him to be 290 in year one i would be worried about him getting too much weight too fast you redshirted him last year you know maybe you can play him in some backup roles this year where you know if his weight's not a problem he can still learn um that was great i was very happy to see tyson ford put on a lot of weight as long as it's good here's the thing it's got to be good weight though Holden Stace, I was fired up to see him up to 242, put 16 pounds on. Josh Burnham put 14 pounds on. That was good. Uh, Andrew Kristopic put 10 pounds on. I hope that's good. Jason Onye put on nine pounds, which I hope is good. Tobias put on a good seven pounds. I mean, so there's guys like that that I was very happy to see. Um, Nana put on 10 pounds to get up to 260. That has me a little bit concerned, a little bit nervous. Uh, Rocco put on 10 pounds to get up 325. Has me a little bit concerned. To be honest with you, I didn't love that. Uh, Aiden Gobira losing weight, 
or not gaining weight that concerned me. And I think I think Blake Fisher lost a little bit too much weight. That can him getting all the way down to three ten. Uh, you know, again, it's the spring. It's different. You, you get it, get all the baby fat off, and then work on getting the next five ten pounds back on in muscle. Cool, that's cool. So I'm not panicked about it yet. But I'm boy, I hope I hope Blake gets back up to three fifteen, three twenty at least by the time the season starts would be my ideal. Just get maybe a little better weight, a little reshaped weight. That's fine. That one concerned me a little bit, to be honest with you. And then um, Michael Carmody not gaining any weight, at least on the roster, was problematic for me. It's very concerning. I just don't think you can be a starter in college football at a place like Notre Dame at 280 pounds. just don't think you can. From Lou Holtz, Thunder and Bolts. Realistically, when can you expect to see Jodarian Price this year? Any chance he can work himself into, into the one-two rotation? It's going to be hard for him to do that. And you, you got two good running backs. He had a chance to beat those guys out last year. But those guys now have experience. They've proven to be effective. And he missed a year. He's not going to he, – he's going to be a little rusty. It's going to be hard to crack the one-two rotation this year. I just want to see him healthy enough to, to, to play. And I think he will. I think he'll be healthy enough to play this year. You know, he'd be another guy. I said if he's healthy, my two kick returners deep are Jadarian Price and Jeremiah Love. That's who they are. I'd give him a chance to do that. Him and Jeremiah, I said, would be getting into blowouts early, third quarter early, getting them some touches. I would like to see all that. But yeah, I, I think you have a chance to play this year. It just I don't know if it'll be like game one or if he'll need a little bit more time. Achilles are a little bit more tricky. They require a little more time, but he got hurt in like July. So by the time the first game, it'll be over a year, over a year since his since his surgery. So he should be able to play this year. I'd be shocked. If, the only way he won't is if he has a setback, in my opinion. Coming from Brandon Plesner, we would like more athletic. Oh, wait, we re, we uh we pulled this up earlier. We answered that one earlier. I just un, forgot to start. Wade Garrett said, "What would you need to see this year to let you know that Marcus Freeman is the right guy as the head coach? What would need to happen to give you some what concern? Well, just improvement, right? So." So a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm a little nervous Coach Freeman didn't fire Al Washington out golden after one year. Okay, that's one way to go with it. I, I understand that sentiment. I, I'm not on board with it necessarily. Here's another sentiment. What if he does what he needs to do to get more out of them? You know, I, I don't necessarily want to fire Al Golden. I've said this before. I think Al Golden's a really smart coach, and if he works at it, could be a really good recruiter. So you sit down with him and say, hey, look, Here's what we liked from year one. Here's what I didn't like. I need you to be more involved in recruiting. You know, you don't have to be the primary linebacker guy. Chad can help you with that. So-and-so can help you with that. Max Bulla can help you with that. Whatever. I can help you with that. But I need you to be more involved. I need you to, to really be more involved with our top prospects. I need you to do more there. Cool. Got it. If he doesn't want to do it, then then you find someone else. But I don't think Al Golden would be resistant to that. Here's, But you got to say, I need you to do it. I'm going to hold you accountable for it. Hey, listen, I, I love what you're doing defensively, schematically. I think you're a great, smart coach, but here's two things. I need, I need you to scale things back a little bit because we got to get these kids playing faster. There's way too much thinking last year. And it can't just be, well, you're going to be better this year because you're older because then you're going to be an up-and-down roller coaster defense because every year that you're young, you're going to struggle, and every year that you're old, you're going to be better. I can't have that. You you have a baseline here, and then if you happen to have a veteran unit that you can get a little bit more out of, you're fine, but the, the foundations have been established. I need to scale that back a little bit. It's not about you. It's not about how smart you are. It's about how smart they are. And then we'll find we'll find that balance, right? But I need you to do that more because I think he's got a lot of potential. I'd much rather see Marcus Freeman do that than to just fire the guy because I think he's a good coach. Brian Van Gorder was was who he was. He was not a good coach. He should have been gone after 2014. 
Al Golden had a much better, he had a top 30 defense last year, guys. I mean, he wasn't bad, just wasn't as good as it needed to be. And there are things he needs to do to correct it. I'd much rather, I'd know, I'd learn a lot more about Marcus Freeman and feel a lot more confident with him if he could recognize the, the issues and fix them without having to fire people all the time. Help, help coach your coaches. That's the job of a head coach, just as much as coaching your players, in my opinion. And if he showed me that, I'd feel great about it. I'd feel great about it. And then, you know, there's some other things I'd like to see him do, but I don't think he feels after nine and four, maybe he doesn't feel comfortable doing those things. We'll, we'll find out if he has a better year, if he feels more comfortable doing that. And what would need to happen to give you some concern? Not, things don't get fixed. Defense has the same exact problems it did last year. Offense has the same exact problems it had last year. If we don't see this team get better, that tells me he can't fix and then have addressed the things that need to happen. That would be a concern. Things just don't get fixed. That would be what gives me pause about Coach Freeman. Last few here. We got one from uh, Brandon Plesner. If Cole Solomon committed Notre Dame and and Kingston, uh, Viliama, Asa, uh, Peyton Pierce, uh, the I forget the Pruitt kid's first name, and then Tylen Singleton were no longer options, what other two would you want to round out the 2024 class? Well, first of all, I, I don't know why you're just dismissing uh, those guys as options, but if you want to, just for the sake of argument, if that happens, I don't know that I would necessarily take two more linebackers in this class, to be completely honest with you. You know, some guys on the board that I really like that I wouldn't mind seeing them go after if you had Cole Sullivan in the class. Uh, obviously, keep going after Aaron Childs. He's a really good player. Uh, I would say, boy, that's a tough one. Because I don't know if I want Cole Sullivan and and Bodie Cahoon in the same class, to be completely honest with you. Uh, there's a kid from California named uh, Tuakai, who I like a lot. I would try to flip Garrett Stover. I mean, I'd do things like that because you just, you just kind of took – it's Cameron Pruitt. You just kind of took most of my top guys away. Uh, Brian Huff from Arkansas I'd, or Arizona I'd, or Arkansas, I'd try to make a run at. I'd try to keep going after him. Uh, Keyshawn Flowers from Maryland, I would make a run at, but I mean, Davis Andrews is a guy that I would look at as maybe potential safety slash rover type of guy, but I'd probably just say, we're just going to go two this year and try to load up and fill it up next year is what I'd probably do. Uh, I, if, if those guys aren't available to me, I don't know if there's two other guys right now that they have a shot at that. I mean, if you, if, if Pierce and Kingston aren't options anymore, then, then some of these other guys I mentioned are probably going to be options either. So that's that's that would be a tough deal. It'd be a really tough deal. If you couldn't get Kingston, yeah, it's gonna be a tough deal. Tyler Smith, why is the left tackle more important position than the right tackle? For me as a quarterback, it's because that's it's it's harder for me to see and avoid a left tackle than it, a guy coming from the left side than the right side. It, it's a little easier in shotgun than it is under center, but it's still not easy. Because as a right-handed quarterback, I'm naturally gonna turn this way. And my peripheral vision is always going to be less here than here. And so that's something that that you look at and say, hey, I need to know that I don't have to worry about back here. I, I got to trust that that guy's going to be there. And so you, it's more great. If a quarterback has any feel in the pocket, there's greater chance that he's going to get an, a, a, a strip sack or a fumble or a big mistake with someone coming from my behind. Because a great pass rusher is not going to come – so I'm dropping back here. Great pass rusher is not going to be coming from here. He's going to be coming from here, behind me. 
And that's where you have the guy coming from behind. If you get hit in the face and, and fumble because the guy comes from your front side, then you just don't have any vision. Or you made a fundamental technical mistake where you then couldn't avoid that guy. It's the blindside guy that's more important. And most quarterbacks are right-handed. So the left tackle position is a more, quote-unquote, important position. He's the guy primarily tasked with protecting your quarterback. Quarterback can see everything else from guard over pretty well. And then if it's up to you to get out of the way. So I think the blind side thing is legitimate. As a quarterback, it's legitimate. It is It is the position I have the hardest time seeing. The only time I ever got hit that I didn't see it coming was in college. We're playing Wesley, and it was a guy just took a wide rush. And I didn't see it because I couldn't see it. He took a wide rush, and he was really fast and just killed my left tackle. It was terrible and hit me right in the back, and I didn't see it coming. Only, only blind side hit I ever took in the, in the pocket. Now there's a couple hits I took in, you know, like scrambling around. Like I'd make a couple guys miss, like kind of cut back, and the guy comes this way and hits me. That's fine. The only other, the, the, and the only other time that I got hit in the back was I was running, and I made a guy made a guy juke, and a guy hit me in the back and drove me into the ground, uh, face first. That was against Methodist College, I think. But I mean, those are natural parts of it. The, that happens to all runners. Only t- it's one time, and I just didn't see it. And I could see a lot of the others because I was in the shotgun a lot, but it, it's hard to see. And the NFL is a lot different because, I mean, they're they're faster and they're even better and they're, they're going to get you a lot quicker. So that's why it's important to me. Last couple, here we go. Brandon says, what are your thoughts on uh, 2024 Arkansas linebacker Brian Huff? Uh, also, does he project a Mike, Will, or both? Honestly, uh, Brandon, that was a question I started for Ryan. I haven't watched Brian Huff yet, to be honest with you. That's that's Ryan's job. So I don't know what Ryan thinks about him. But um, so I've heard he's athletic. I heard he's got a long kid, but I just haven't watched him yet, to be honest with you. So that's more of a question for for Ryan. I can't believe that we're going to end on a on a question of something. Oh, now here we got one more. Okay. Irish Mills 540. Obviously, the biased answer is both, but taking the Notre Dame bias goggles off, what game do you see us having a higher chance of winning, Ohio State or USC? I got to tell you, I really don't like questions like this. I really don't like questions where you assume I have a bias. I don't. And it just kind of frustrates me because I think I already get – if you just ask me, do you, who do you think Notre Dame has a higher chance of winning against, Ohio State or USC? I would have given you my honest answer. I would not have given you a biased answer. I would never give you a biased answer. I always give you my honest answers. So you don't need to preface it with taking my ND bias goggles off. I don't believe that I have ND bias goggles. And if I do have them, I don't know that I have them. So I can't take them off. I'm giving you my honest opinion. Who do they have a higher chance of beating? In my opinion, it's USC. I think the problem, the problem here is Ohio State has a much better all-around roster than USC. USC has the more dynamic quarterback. To me, if I can find a way to neutralize the dynamic quarterback like Utah did, like Oregon State did, and like Washington State did, they were able to neutralize the quarterback to a degree, and that gave them a chance to win those games. They didn't have the offense that Notre Dame I expect to have. If you, if I can neutralize one guy and that hurts your team a lot, then I am going to have a better shot at beating you than a team that maybe doesn't have as good of a quarterback, which I don't expect Ohio State to have as good of a quarterback this year. But I think Ohio State's going to have a much better all-around team. And the more balanced team is the one that concerns me. For example, I think you, Ohio State's going to have a much better defense than USC this year. I think Ohio State's going to have a more balanced offense than USC this year, in my opinion. Now, USC has a good – that's something Lincoln Riley's always had a, done a pretty good job of is, is finding good balance. But – 
I think Ohio State will still be more balanced on offense this year. I think they're going to be better at receiver. I think they're more talented at running back if they're healthy. I think that they're going to be better on defense if they're healthy. The only place that I think USC may have an advantage, and this is a big if, is offensive line and quarterback. That's it. And and so that's why I say USC is is the team they have a higher chance of winning because I just think that Notre Dame's talent matches up a lot better. You have to play really well to beat Ohio State. And USC, you just have to slow down Caleb Williams. You slow him down and you got a pretty good shot at winning because you can score on them a lot easier than you can score on Ohio State, in my opinion. So that's why I would say USC would be my answer on that one. So, yeah, that's a that's a good one. So that's how we're going to end it, everybody. Listen, if you are with us, the the rapid fire, some of you have already left for that, but the rapid fire is going on right now, which went live here a little bit ago with Sean and Vince. So you go check that out. And then we are going to be back tomorrow for our post-practice. I think it's going to be at 2 o'clock. We'll probably go around 2 o'clock. Let me just check the practice schedule here real fast and uh, make sure that we have a good set time. So the practice will be done It'll be at 10.30, so we'll get the first five periods, so we'll be good to go at 2 o'clock tomorrow. So we'll go live tomorrow, Saturday at 2 o'clock, Brian and I, uh, for our post-practice breakdown of tomorrow's practice. And then after that, of course, we'll be back on Monday. So make sure, folks, you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for the message board. I'm serious. If you haven't watched, sign up for the message board, you're missing out. You need to sign up and help. Not just not, not only are you supporting our breakdown, you're also part of a great community with great conversation, great discussion. You're definitely going to check that out. So for Ryan, I'm Brian, folks. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll see you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.